So church, we're coming into a section in 1 Samuel, into 2 Samuel. Now remember that 1 and 2 Samuel was one book. It is one book, right? Uh, so it's not 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel. It's one book, 1 and 2 Samuel. And so we're coming into a part of the book which really is uh, maybe my favorite section of the book. Uh, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a, a real glorious study through these next probably four or five, six chapters. And kind of what I'm going to do is I'm going to slow down a little bit. Uh, because over the next several chapters, 27, 28, 29, and the first Samuel 1 and 2, what we're going to see is that David goes into exile. And while he's in exile, there's an announcement that the firstborn will be judged, Saul. And then what David's going to do is David's going to come out of exile on the third day. And it'll be on the third day that David plunders the enemy, takes back all that belongs to him with nothing missing. He's going to give gifts to men and he's going to ascend to the throne to be king over Israel. And I hope that that gets the wheels spinning a little bit in your brain because that story sounds really familiar and hopefully it does sound very familiar to us. And so what, what, what I was going to do is just preach the whole thing because it's great. It's, a, it's in the next five, six chapters as, as, as David goes through this time uh, to ascend the throne. It's like six chapters and I realized I can't do that. There's too many good things here. And then I thought about just teaching maybe three chapters and I thought to myself, well, I can't do three. I would be missing too many things. And then I thought about doing two chapters and then I thought to myself, well, I, I can't do that because there's too many good things to do. So I'm going to just preach on 1 Samuel 27 this morning and we're going we're gonna to dive into the study here and I, I, I trust you will be encouraged. Now listen, this is what I want you to understand and, and, and get out of the message, okay? So it's really important in the beginning that you pay attention right now, okay? So listen, I want you to see this today. I want you to see that God faithfully marches on and advances His kingdom through exile. And that, brethren, we as His people need to look to the patterns of Scripture and walk in the faithfulness of men who have gone before us. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I want you to see this morning that God faithfully marches on and advances His kingdom through exile. And brethren, that we would walk in faithfulness to the Lord our God. And so I've entitled this sermon, Faithfully Marching On in Exile. I want to just read uh, chapter 27 for us now. So let's, let's go ahead and read together. Remember, uh, last time I preached, just real quick, remember David had opportunity to, ki to, to, to kill Saul, take vengeance over his enemies, uh, Saul twice, and then Nabal. And so we're coming in right here, then verse 1. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were before him, to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahoniam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. 
And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he sought him no longer. Then David said to Achish, I have, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of, da and the number of days... That David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gizrites, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels and the garments, and come back to Achish. And Achish asked, Where have you made a raid today? David would say, Against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jehemirites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man or woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, Lest they should tell about us and say, So David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he had made himself an utter stench to his people. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So, brother, what I want you to see, first of all, is that David goes into exile. In verses 1 to 4, what we see is that David is under threat again from Saul who's been seeking to kill him for, for many chapters here, and he decides that the best thing for him to do is to escape. You see that twice there in the first couple of verses here. He wants to escape, and he escapes by leaving the land of Israel, leaving the borders of Israel, and going down into the land of the Philistines. Exile. And he takes with him 600 men and all, and all their family members. Now that's a considerable amount of people, a couple thousand people probably. And he goes to the land of the Philistines. Now, this is significant because what you read in Genesis chapter 10, verse 13, in the table of nations, you read that Egypt, who was a man, a, a man, he fathered Cashlium, by whom the Philistines came. So the Philistines are descendants of Egypt. So it's as if David leaves the land of Israel and goes into Egypt. He goes into the land of Egypt. And right away, this should help you to uh, begin to recall this, this Exodus pattern. He's going to go into Egypt and be delivered out of Egypt. And he's going to come in and reign as king. So right away, you should be thinking of these things. We should be thinking of these patterns in Scripture because it's through Egypt that God routes the enemy, judges the enemy, and advances his kingdom. And we see this all throughout the Bible. You see it in Genesis chapter 12. Abram goes into Egypt. Yahweh brings plagues upon Pharaoh. Abraham is delivered out of Egypt with much plunder. You get it in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph, he sold to where? To Egypt. He's away from the people of God. He, Joseph is faithful. God is with him. He sent ahead to preserve life. And he ascends to the throne, dressed like a king, giving bread to the world. You see it in Genesis 42. A threat of famine 
causes Israel and his sons, right? Jacob and his sons, Israel, 70 persons, to go into Egypt of a threat of a famine. And there, they're there for 400 years. And Yahweh conquers his enemies by judging the firstborn, by bringing the plagues upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And with a strong and mighty hand, he delivers his son, Israel, out of Egypt into the promised land to rule as a kingdom of priests and kings. You see it also in 1 Samuel chapters 4 to 7. We just talked about this at the prayer meeting, right? But, but, but there, Yahweh himself goes into exile instead of the people, right? Remember Aaron talking about that? A great sermon that Nick preached, right? <laughs> Not me, amen. <laughs> uh, and, and, and remember when Nick preached, and, and, and that sermon was called, Yahweh Conquers Our Idols. And it was in exile. Remember the ark got taken and captured? out of the land, in the land of the Philistines. And what's God doing there? He's crushing Dagon, chopping off Dagon's head, breaking Dagon's arms. He's plaguing the, 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 the Philistines there, just like Yahweh did to the, uh, the relatives of, uh, of the Philistines, the Egyptians, back in the Exodus. And remember, Yahweh comes out of exile by himself, driving a cart of milk cows. Remember that? Remember that account? So Yahweh comes out of exile, and remember the ark, what was it filled with? Gold, right? Much gold. So again, we see it there, right? God conquers his enemies in exile and through exile. This is all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Yes, amen, praise the Lord. And this continues on, brethren. When we get to Matthew chapter 2, what do we see? Jesus. Jesus under threat of another tyrant, King Herod, and Herod wants him dead because he hears he's another king, the Lord's anointed, and Herod as king wants to kill Jesus, the Lord's anointed. You see what's going on here? And he goes out of the land into where? Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, when the Son of God is exiled out of the land, what does Yahweh do to King Herod? judges him, crushes him, and allows his son to come back into the land. And brethren, all of this points to the greater climax when Christ himself goes into the exile of death and he dies for us, brethren. And it is in death where Jesus Christ conquers the enemy once and for all, crushes the head of that filthy snake, in exile, in death, and he comes out of the grave victorious through resurrection on his way to the throne to rule at the Father's right hand as he gives the gift of the Spirit to men. And that's glorious, brethren. That's the pattern all throughout Scripture is that our God marches on and conquers in exile. In exile, our God marches on. And we would expect the same thing to happen to David, and it most certainly does. And if you want to read ahead, you read ahead. You read through uh, chapter 27, 28, 29, 30, into 1 Samuel 1 and 2, 3 and 4, all the way into 6. You get this whole story going on right here. Saul, the firstborn, is judged. David conquers his enemies, the Amalekites. 
God's enemies, the people's enemies. He plunders their house. You get that in, 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 in chapter 30. Can't wait to get there. He gets back all that's taken from him. Nothing was missing. He gives gifts to men. And he ascends to the throne as king of Israel, as Yahweh's son. And brethren, that, that, that is encouraging for us. But it begins in exile. It begins in a time where you think all hope is lost. And I want you to see how David faithfully marches on even while he's in exile. I want you to see that. See him here. Now, remember and note here that being in exile is, is, is ultimately due to sin, right? Adam and Eve sinned against God. They are cast out of the presence of God because of their sin. They are exiled out of the land. So it's ultimately due to sin, but it's not always a direct result of our sin. And you think about David's situation, right? He's driven out of the land. Why? By threat of Saul. He's under threat and he's driven out of the land. He's marginalized. He's away from normal life. He's in the land of the enemy. You see there for, in, in verse 7, for a year and four months, 16 months living in the land of the enemy. He's driven out of the good land by a tyrant, by Saul. His family isn't safe. He's trying to care for them. He's responsible for these other 600 men and their families. Their life is in turmoil. His entire life, brethren, is altered. Nothing is normal anymore. His situation is difficult. Not to mention, he's living in constant uncertainty. Constant uncertainty. This is what exile can look like. I mean, you think about this, brethren. Anyone else here been driven from a, a life of normalcy? Anyone else is here living in constant uncertainty because of tyrants? Does that ring a bell to anyone? I mean, brethren, don't forget. And don't forget, God marches on even in the midst of exile. You know, some, some commentators here, uh, and probably most of your study Bibles, are going to say that David here lacks faith. That he should have stayed in the land and trusted Yahweh. I want you, I think, to read your, you ever, your study Bible open? No? All right. It's okay. Because your, your study Bible is just like my study Bible, and, and it has a note right there, and, and they're ripping David apart there. That David should have stayed in the land. He should not have left. And they say that he's, he's walking in unbelief. He's walking uh, in disobedience. He should have stayed. He should have trusted the Lord. He should have stuck it out. All of these things. And you go home and you read your study Bibles and your commentaries there. But brethren, listen, do you think Abram lacked faith because he was driven into Egypt during a famine? I mean, do you think Israel lacked faith because he was driven by threat of famine into the land of Egypt? Do you think Joseph in, in Matthew chapter 2 lacked faith because he was driven into Egypt by, uh, by Herod? And I think what all these commentators are missing, and it's not all of them, but most of them, I think what they're missing is they're not picking up on the patterns of Scripture. They're not seeing the patterns here. Uh, they're not recognizing that this is how God works. This is how God advances His kingdom. is through exile and return. Exile and conquest. Death and resurrection. This is how God works. This is how He operates, brethren. 
God marches on. Now notice David's situation here. Okay? He's driven out of the land. His, his whole life is in shambles. His world is rocked again, constantly. Right? But you know what he's not doing? He's not complaining. He's not pouting. He's not saying, poor me, here I am again in enemy territory. How am I supposed to own a house? I'm in Ziklag again, and I'm renting again. Here I am. No stability. He's not moping around. Brethren, you know what he's not? Is he's not offended by the plans and purposes of God. He's not offended, brethren. He's not waving his fist around saying, Lord, what are you doing? I, I'm, I'm the next king. I'm supposed to be king. What are you doing, Lord? Where are you? And we know this, but he doesn't know this. He's right on the cusp. He's right on the cusp of being ascended to the king of Israel. He's right there. He doesn't know that. But he's not, he's not here complaining. And brethren, and, 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 and that, that's a temptation for us, is it not? When we're in difficulty, when we're in a, in, in a period of uncertainty, we begin to think, well, God just isn't with us, or He's just not for us, or He has forgotten us. And brethren, that's what suffering tempts us to do. It's, it tempts us to, to, to forget the promises of God. Open up to Isaiah real quick. Isaiah 40. We read a little bit of, of, of 41. Because this is exactly what Israel... Forty. Thank you. No, yeah, no, that's fine. Thanks for asking. Isaiah 40. Remember, in the context here, Israel is going to be in exile in Babylon. And look at what verse 27 says of chapter 40. This is us, brethren, thinking that God has forgotten us in the midst of exile. Look at what he says here. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Brethren, there's a temptation right there. My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. God, where are you? You must not care. You must not see. Here I am, marginalized. Here I am, driven away, driven out of the good land. Here I am, suffering. Here I am, away from normalcy. Here I am. Lord, where are you? That's the temptation, brethren. That's the temptation. My right has been disregarded by my God. But look at what 
God goes on to say in Isaiah 41. We read this, brethren. Look at what He says in verse, in verse 10. Fear not. Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Brethren, you know what it means to be dismayed? That's, that's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer this. Uh, to be dismayed, brethren, the, the, I think the idea here is, is, is to look around with, with anxiety, to look around anxiously. Lord, where are you? Where are you? Looking around anxiously. Don't be dismayed. I am with you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See the tenderness of God here, brethren. Has He not upheld you? Has He ever let you fall? He has always been there for His people to uphold you. Even in the midst of exile for these people. Even in the midst of their suffering. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a hand of omnipotence. The power of God to uphold His people. He says, I am with you. Do you remember what when, when Joseph was, was sent into Egypt and sold into Egypt, what the constant refrain there is with him, the Lord was with him, right? Joseph, put in jail for two years, period. Next, next sentence. But the Lord was with him. But the Lord was with him. Even while you're marginalized, Joseph, sold into slavery, the Lord is with him. Brethren, the Lord is with us. God's people don't go into exile by themselves. It's like what David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That sounds like exile to me. I don't really know what that necessarily can, I mean, I'm sure it can apply to that. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you are with me, though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, the shadow of death. I will fear no... Because He's with us, brethren. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Now, go back to 1 Samuel. And I want you to notice here David's faithfulness. David's faithfulness. Now, David is faithful to the Lord in exile. Remember, God told Saul to destroy the Amalekites. Remember that? 1 Samuel 15. He says to put him under the ban. Does he do it? No, he does not do it. Right? But David, we find, as the true king of Israel, is coming and walking in obedience to the word of God. And you see it there, right there in verse 8. Now, David and his men... He's not pouting. He's not complaining. He's a man of action. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gizrites, and the Amalekites. Now the Amalekites, if you don't remember, you can read this in Deuteronomy chapter 25, why uh, the Lord is, is, is going to judge them. And it is because they attacked Israel on their way out of Egypt. And they didn't just attack Israel, they attacked the rear of Israel. They went after those who were old, those who were weak, those who were faint, those who were in the rear guard who couldn't keep up with the pack. They attacked the weak. The least of these they attacked. These men were dirty. Those who lagged behind. And David is doing what Saul would not do. 
he was running raids against the Amalekites. Now, we also see that he makes raids against the Geshurites and the Gizrites. And we are tempted to say, as uh, I'm included in this, well, we don't really know who these guys are, so who cares, right? You know, the Bible and all its silly names, and we can't figure out who these people are, so we'll just skip over that and keep on reading. Now, if there's one thing that I have learned in the last year or so, is that there is not one wasted word in the Bible ever. Ever. Not one wasted word. Okay? So, if we don't know who the Geshurites and the Gizrites are, what do you do? Go back to Genesis. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, you go back to Genesis. Not, not that far back, but I guess you could. Uh, but, you know, like I always like to do, you start clicking on cross-references, and you start looking at different things, right? So, let's try this just one time, and we'll see how it goes. Does anyone have a cross-reference next to the Geshurites? The Geshurites, yep. I need a cross-reference here. We need to know who these people are. Why is this important? Yep, flip over there, my man. Joshua 13. Flip over there real quick. Remember, what's going on in Joshua? The people are in conquest, right? So they've been delivered out of Egypt. They're through the wilderness. They've entered the land, and they are routing out the enemy, right? Okay, so let's read about these Geshurites in Joshua chapter 13. Starting in verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Eshkelon, Gath, and Ekron. So Israel did not complete the conquest, and we read here that there are still a number of people left, namely the Geshurites. Okay, so let's go over to Joshua 16.10. Next chapter over. And we see again, we're going to look at the, the, the Gizrites here. Joshua 16.10. However, they, Israel, did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. These are the Gizrites. So the Canaanites had lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. Brethren, they have not driven out these nations out of the land. Now flip over to Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1. And the refrain here in verse 27 and onward is that Israel did not complete the conquest. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen. You look down to verse number 29. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. These are the Gizrites. And the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out. And the refrain goes on and on and on. Now, why are they not driving out the enemies of God that God told them to drive out these nations from the land? Look at chapter 2. Now, the angel of the Lord, of, of Judges. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Galgal to Bakim. 
And he said, I have brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Brethren, they did not drive out these nations because they did not obey God's voice. They did not break down their altars, and they made covenants with them. And we see the same exact thing with King Saul. King Saul did not destroy the Amalekites, but he made a covenant with their king. He spared them. But here we have David faithfully driving them out, making raids upon them and taking plunder. Brethren, he is in exile, conquering the land, finishing the conquest. Our king is conquering, even in exile. He's finishing as the faithful king. Even in exile, the true king of, of, of Israel, brethren, he conquers the enemy, he takes her plunder, whether in exile or in conquest, whether in life or in death, he's conquering. He's conquering. He's marching on. Don't miss this, church. Don't miss this. You have a conquering king. You have a conquering king. Jesus Christ, though he be in the grave or on his throne, he is conquering his enemies. Though he be cast out of the city and crucified or in the city, marching toward Jerusalem, casting out demons on the way, he is conquering in life and in death. Brethren, your God conquers. He conquers our God, church, our king, he marches on even in exile. Even in exile, he's marching on. Now listen, David, this is important for us to understand too. David is sent into exile for a purpose, right? He's sent there for a purpose. And the purpose is to conquer the enemy. Brethren, there is always a purpose in what God is doing. Always. There is always a purpose in what God is doing when He sends His people and scatters them abroad. Always a purpose. Paul, exiled away from Jerusalem to Rome so that what? He could testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to get into Spain. The gospel advancing. Joseph in Genesis, he is sent ahead into Egypt. Why? He tells his brothers at the end to preserve life. We actually read about it in, in, in Psalm 105. I said amen in the back, but that's kind of a weird place to say amen. Well, yeah, because I know what's coming. Right? He's sending, the, there, there is purpose. He sends Joseph ahead of them into Egypt because of the famine coming. And he's going to preserve God's people. There's purpose in it, brethren. Christ went outside the city. He was cast out of the city and crucified. He goes into the grave of exile 
and returns, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the enemy, Satan, leading many sons to glory for our salvation, brethren. None of it is wasted. None of it. Look over to Acts chapter 8 with me. Turn over there. I want to show you something that I think would be very encouraging to you. Acts chapter 8. Yeah, eat one. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. Remember, uh, Stephen was just stoned. Okay, so Stephen's martyred. And, and there's Saul uh, approving of his execution. And it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So here we go. The early church under persecution, under threat. They're driven out. They're scattered. And undoubtedly, brethren... They are away from normalcy. They are, they're, they're living in a time of uncertainty. There's no stability. They're, 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 they're scattered abroad. They had to leave their homes, their families. They got to flee. They're out. They're out. And they are scattered. And brethren, I mean, the situation here is, is one of persecution. But listen, you, know, you think about it. I mean, you think about what the Lord did to bring some of you here to Las Vegas. And you probably didn't come here because you thought, oh, I love Las Vegas, kumbaya, let's go hang out in Vegas. You were probably driven here by, by, by something in your life that made you live and not normal anymore. Something may have happened to you. You were exiled out. You were away from home. I was thinking of you guys in the military. Oh, great, Las Vegas, what a joy. Get to leave Texas and come over here. Got to pack up again, move houses, you know, move over here. N not normal anymore. We got to figure something out. Got to look for housing, all these different things. Life is just in shambles, trying to figure some things out. I mean, you can maybe think of that as an exile. I don't know. Maybe don't tell your boss that. But, 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 but you know what I mean? Just, just, just driven away from, from normalcy. Sister, I was thinking about you. What brought you here? And you, brother, wasn't just... You were in great health inside. I'm going to go to Las Vegas. It was, a, it was an, a time of suffering that drove you here for the glory of God. And you can go all throughout here, brother, and I'm sure. You're here because something happened. You were scattered here to Las Vegas. But look at what they're doing. Look at what the church does. Verse 4, Now those who were scattered, they went about complaining and moping around, and woe is me. What are they doing, brethren? They're preaching the word. They're going out, though they're scattered. Those, the church, not just the apostles, the church, they're preaching the word. They're bringing the gospel to wherever they go. They're marginalized, driven out, scattered. And they're being faithful. They're being faithful to speak the word of God. And then you get Philip 
He's going down to Samaria. He's preaching. The Samaritans are getting saved. Joy in the city. And you go on in through chapter 8, and Philip runs into this Ethiopian eunuch who just so happens to be on the road, and, 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 and he shares the gospel with him, and this Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. And then guess what happens? The gospel goes to Ethiopia. Praise the Lord. God marches on in exile. And then you get chapter 9. Saul's converted. He's saved. God saves him. Praise the Lord. And then, and then look at chapter 11. Look at chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So, so these same Christians who, who in, in, in chapter 8 are being persecuted, they've scattered all the way up into Antioch in the north. All the way up to Antioch, and they establish a church there. So there's a church in Antioch. All right. Praise the Lord. But brethren, listen. It's because of the persecution that Saul was a part of that drove the Christians into Antioch to plant a church. They were scattered. And then what happens in, and then, and then look at 13, chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and who? Saul. Saul is part of the persecution of the Christians that causes them to scatter in chapter 8. They go all the way up, plant a church in Antioch. God saves Saul, and the church in Antioch sends out Saul as a missionary. Brethren, praise God. Our God advances His kingdom through exile. You see the glory of God here. He cannot be stopped. He's marching on. Isn't that glorious? I love that. I mean, brother, I love that. Our God is unstoppable. He uses this man to send his church out, and then he saves him. And he's sent out from the church that he persecuted to go be a missionary to bring the gospel to the known world. <laughs> Praise the Lord, brethren. Our God marches on. Through the faithfulness, brethren, of his sons and daughters, though they be in exile, though they be scattered abroad, though they be away from normalcy, though they be marginalized, though they suffer, the kingdom advances, brethren. The kingdom advances. And there's hope in this. There's hope, brethren. There's hope there. When you think that whatever you're suffering or whatever your situation may bring, I was just talking to Aaron about this. We just can't afford to buy a home. It's just impossible. And brethren, honestly, that caused us to just live in uncertainty. Don't know what's going to happen next month or at the end of the lease or whatever it is. And that may, that might may sound you know, real nominal, but that's just the reality, brother. And you think of all of our brothers and sisters in China and Myanmar being scattered around. China was shut down for 50 years in the 90s, brethren. And you know what they found when the Westerners came back in and they thought the church would be destroyed? They found out there was a church of 100 million people in there. God was marching on. 
through the exile of his own people, scattered abroad. The gospel will prevail, brethren. Nothing, nothing will stop that. Amen. Nothing will, brethren. No scheme of man. No tyrants persecuting the church. None of it. He just saves them and then sends the man out from the church like, like he did to Saul. But that's the hope, brethren. That's the hope that any of us ever have. That God advances and marches on through the faithfulness of His people. He is with us in times of uncertainty. David, the brethren, finds himself as a man of action. He's a man of action. He goes about doing good, walking faithfully to the Lord. And that's how we're to live in exile. This is it. This is the model. This is, this is what we're to emulate. We're to look at the men of old and see their life and emulate them, follow after them. That's the hope. That's the pattern. God brings His people through exile and exalts them as He conquers their enemies. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to encourage you here, brethren, how we're to live in exile. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Look at what Peter says. He's writing, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Here he is. He's writing to them. These are the ones. They've been scattered away. They've been scattered abroad. And he writes to them to encourage them, to strengthen them, to instruct them. And he says in verse 4, uh, he says, Blessed be God. And he says this, We have an inheritance. That's how he encourages them. That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And brethren, listen. I think Peter here is picking up on the pattern of the entire Bible. This is how you live while you are in exile. Look at, and I think, uh, he, he picks up on David, and I'll mention that in a second, but I want to just do a quick little breeze through here, okay? Look at what he says in verse 13. In light of all of this, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, walk in obedience. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Living faithfully. Living in obedience. Living in a holy life. Calling upon the name of the Lord. Calling upon the Father who judges impartially. He says in verse 17, Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Look at chapter 2. Verse 23, when he, Christ, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is what David was doing, remember? He, I think he's picking up, picking up on David here. Don't retaliate. Trust in the Lord. Commit yourself to him who judges justly. And then look at chapter 3. He says this, finally, verse 8, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is how you live in this time. 
Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you, you were called that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. You do good. Be men and women who are about doing good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see how in your Bibles, this is uh, like in a different kind of text font format. It's formatted differently. You see that? Okay, right? He's quoting from the Psalter, from the Psalms. And he's quoting a Psalm of David when David is in the land of the Philistines. Psalm 34, the first time. And David is writing about uh, about faithfulness to the Lord when he's in the land of the Philistines, again, fleeing from Saul. Peter is picking up on this pattern. This is how you live. Look at, look at men of old. And then you look at again, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings so that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome, or what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There it is again, while doing good. While doing good. David is a man going about doing good. We ought to be men and women going about doing good. Serving our Lord. The church, the church in Acts chapter 8, they're going about doing good. And then, in chapter 5, this is the hope, brethren. This is what we read. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may at the proper time exalt you, bring you through, and exalt you, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are experienced throughout by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory will Himself, God Himself, brethren, God Himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's the hope. That's the exile in return. That's the death and resurrection. That's the conquest there, brethren. As all these men of old, Abraham, Joseph, Israel, Israel the man, 
in Genesis. David, as they go through it, the early church, as they go through it, you be faithful, you do good, you serve the Lord. You trust in the Lord. And He Himself, as He did to Christ, Christ goes into the grave and the Father raises Him in power and restores Him, confirms Him, strengthens Him, establishes Him as King. That's the hope, brethren. Peter here is looking at the patterns of Scripture and saying, now you do this, there's a promise for you. How could Peter promise this? Because he sees it constantly in the Bible. This is the pattern. Now in your exile, be faithful. Be faithful. And do good. Do good as Joseph did in Genesis. Do good as David did, trusting the Lord, walking in obedience. Do good as the church did in, the, in, in, in Acts chapter 8. Do good as our Lord did. And we talk about this. Is, it's, some of, it's, it's one of our favorite phrases of the Lord. He went about doing good. He went about doing good, brethren. That's the hope for us. He'll bring you through and establish. Brethren, just remember, remember and be encouraged that God faithfully marches on and advances His kingdom through exile. And we as His people, brethren, need to look at the patterns of Scripture and walk in faithfulness. Walk in faithfulness. Our God cannot be stopped. Let's pray.